0: If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 26, and we will start with verse 26. You always need to know the context, especially for those who have not been walking through Matthew with us. We're in the last night of Jesus' life. He has washed his disciples' feet. He has predicted that Judas would betray him. And now he is going to institute the Lord's Supper. And in less than 24 hours, he will die on a cross. And this time, the next evening, he will be laid in a tomb. And so we're going to read what happened that night when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Verse 26 through 30. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, saying, Thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom." When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is God's Word to God's people. May God give us understanding. Let's pray. Father, before we come and feast at your table, we sit at your feet to learn what all of this means, that we might not celebrate an empty ritual, but a sacrament that's full of grace and truth. So grant us understanding. Help us to see the visual picture as we hold the bread and and drink the cup today. May you speak to our hearts and nourish them in faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> Hoc ec corum deo. Only Latin words I know. Hoc corpus meum means this is my body which is broken for you martin luther believed those words to be literal when he was in a debate with zwingli and melanchton and philip of hess he took a piece of chalk and he wrote on the table and we didn't know what he said, and then he put something over it. And they began to discuss the Lord's table and what it meant to mean and what it meant to say that this is the body of Christ. And after a very heated discussion, he lifted up his napkin over it and it said, Hoc est corpus meum. That was what Luther would always say, this is my body, period. Now Luther's concept of the body of Christ was not our concept of the body of Christ. It was not the Catholic Church's view of the body of Christ. It was not Zwingli's view of the body of Christ. It was very few people's view of the body of Christ. The words that were meant by God uh, to give us much comfort have caused us much controversy over the years. The theologians have debated what those words meant in the Latin Vulgate hoc corpus meum, or this is my body, means. But what we want to do today, we want to look at some different words, but words nevertheless. Words that I think help you understand this passage, and the words are these, as, is, and until. As they were eating, Jesus instituted the Passover. Is, this is my body, which is broken for you. And until... I won't drink this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom with you. As. As they were eating. Meaning as they were eating the Passover, you have to go back into verse 17, 18, whatever, to find out that what they were doing, they were eating the Passover. They were eating the, the roasted lamb, they were eating the bitter herbs, and they were dipping their bread in the in the in the sauce that was made of different kind of fruits and things and they were partaking of of the bread and all of that and jesus there transforms the passover into the lord's supper now i just want you to know how hard that would be they had been celebrating the passover like this for 1200 years not these people you know they're 30, 40 years old. Jesus 33 years old from what we uh, recount from scripture. But for the past 1200 and something years, Jewish people had been celebrating the Passover and it always meant this. And now Jesus is changing all of what the Passover means because he said the Passover actually pointed to me. And I am the Passover. You know how hard it is to change of tradition you ever tried to change your tradition and people in the church say we've never done it that way before you know we could we could do something simple like let's meet at 10 o'clock and man I would probably hear everybody say we've never done that before and the old saying is Presbyterians better do it right the first time because they'll do it that way for the next hundred years you know choose your rut wisely This is not a rut. This is the word of God given to his people. And they have been doing this for 1,200 years. And then Jesus says, as they were eating, he changes the meaning of Passover. What did Passover mean? The youngest person at the table would always ask, what does this mean? And the oldest man or the elder of the house would begin to give a a history lesson of the redemption, and how they'd been slaves in Egypt, and how they had uh, had been so bitterly treated, and when God had prospered them so that they became so numerous that the, the, the Pharaoh was afraid there'd be too many of them, and they'd take over, and he started having the, the, the boys when they were born to be killed, and yet he saved Moses, you know that story, and he made them work harder, and made them work, make bricks without straw, and They began to cry out to God, and God heard their cry. And he brought Moses out of the wilderness from the burning bush, and he had him come and speak to Pharaoh. And he would basically say, let my people go. God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh, every time, would harden his heart. He would resist the word of God. And God would use that to make his heart harder and harder. There were ten plagues of all kind brought upon Egypt and the Egyptians and they were miserable conditions that they were facing and they resisted them all. They hardened their heart except on the last one when God caused the death angel to pass over Egypt and he killed all the firstborn in the houses of the Egyptians and he passed over the houses of the people and in the tribe of Israel because they had the blood on their doorposts. Can you imagine that night? I think it's John White, it might be James Montgomery Boyce, imagines two neighbors uh, outside, close to dark, and they're putting the blood on the doorpost. And one is rather timid, and the other one is rather bold. And the one that's timid said, You know, I, I sure hope the angel of the Lord passes over us. I'm going to do this because Moses has always told us what God's word is, and this is God's word, and we're going to do it. But I, kind of, I believe, but I help my unbelief. And his neighbor kind of says, Brother, it's going to happen. God's going to pass over us, and those people are going to die, and you're going to, you're going to live. The next morning they got up, and guess who's sons were still alive both of them because it wasn't in the strength of their faith but it's what their faith was in their faith was in the blood of the lamb shed for them and we know that that lamb of God was none other than pointing to the lamb of God that was Jesus that John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to be baptized and he says behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world He understood that that lamb was the lamb of God that atonement would be made in his life and in his blood. Everybody would know that Jesus was the lamb when he was slain on the cross that day at Calvary. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. All that Passover was, Jesus is. Everything on the table pointed to the coming of the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And he goes on to say, not only is everything on that table pointing to the Lamb of God, this is starting a new covenant, meaning a new new and improved covenant. Not a completely new, because it grows out of the Old Covenant. But in Hebrews, it says the Old Covenant became obsolete. What was the Old Covenant? Ben preached the only sermon I've ever heard on Exodus 24. And those of you who are here on Sunday night remember that. They were making the covenant of the law. God with His people and Moses comes down with the law and he, He's before the 70 elders and they make the sacrifice and they catch half, they catch the blood of the lambs in the bowl or in the bucket or whatever you have there. And He takes half of the blood and He pours it on the altar. And you know what He does with the other half? He takes it and He slings it upon the people. He sprinkles them with the blood of Christ and marks them at His own. And they say, whatever you say, we'll do. And in that covenant, God is basically saying, you can't do it, and you're going to need the blood to make you clean. And now we know from Hebrews, several chapters, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sin of the world. And therefore Christ came and made the once for all sacrifice for the sins of His people, and He sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as they were eating. And what he calls us to do is to have faith in that blood. This is my body, broken for you. The the word is, is. I think we had a president that made a big deal about the word is but before he made a big deal about is the reformers and all the people before him made a big deal about what is is this is my body what does that mean the medieval catholic church took it to mean literally and they took it to mean that when the priests held the body and blood of body of Christ and they blessed it it actually transformed into the body of Christ, transubstantiationism. We talk about it in our communicants class. And used to, uh, as Lewis and other people growing up in that tradition would know, they used to ring a bell, and that would be the moment in which it would happen that the, body, that the bread became the body of Christ and the cup became the blood of Christ. Luther didn't believe that exactly how it happened. And he came up with something a little similar called the consubstantiationism. Y'all can learn how to spell them later. But con meaning with. And Luther believed that Christ was with the elements, above it, beneath it, beside it, within it. And he still believed all there was, there was not a transformation of the elements, Christ was still ingested in the elements. And Zwingli was saying, you know. That's not how you read that passage. The passage in context is Jesus is saying, Do this in remembrance of me. And when we get there, we remember that Christ has died for us, and his body was broken on the tree, and the sins were put on him, and we go free, and we were washed clean, and we remember those things. And Calvin added a different element calvin says jesus really is present when we are at the lord's table but he's spiritually present and we remember him and repent of our sins and believe in him then we are fed from that table spiritually not corporately not physically but spiritually that's what the 96th question of the confession of the catechism says what is the lord's supper Lord's Supper is a sacrament whereby giving and receiving bread and wine according to Christ's appointment His death is showed forth and the worthy receivers are not after a corporal and carnal manner but by faith made partakers of the body and blood and with all His benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth and grace. When you start talking about hermeneutics. You'll probably talk about it at lunch today after you figure out what it is. And that's just how do you interpret the Bible? And, and you have principles that you go by and you, you know them. You know the Scripture interprets. Scripture is an easy one that you make sure that this reading is in line with that reading. But one even before that, that's one of the primary ones, the, the one before that is you take the natural meaning of the text the simplest meaning of the text and so when you take the simplest meaning of this text and you read the text it is jesus is pointing to his body in a symbolic way in a metaphorical way just like he would say i am the door nobody thinks he's mahogany with hinges i am the i am the Bread come down from heaven. They didn't think He was, you know, bread like manna from heaven. I am a good shepherd. He wasn't a shepherd. He was a rabbi and a teacher. I am the living water. He wasn't a bubbly spring. And so when He says, this is my body, they took it to mean this is, this is symbolic of His body. And the reason we believe that is this. For 1,200 years, you know what they said when they took the Bread. When they took the bread, they held it up and said, This is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. And all those who are hungry, let them enter and eat. And all those who are in need, let them come and celebrate the Passover. Now we are here. Next year we'll be in the land of Israel. This year we're slaves. Next year we'll be free. But every Passover for 1,200 years, they had held up the bread and said, This is the bread of affliction. Not one person thought that was 1,200-year-old bread. And now Jesus is holding up the bread and saying, This is my body, broken for you. It's a visual sermon. And what we do is we feed on Christ by faith. And the same with the covenant of blood made. The cup represents the covenant made in His blood. It's poured out. And we're washed and we're cleaned by baptism. And the blood of the cup real, makes us realize that we're dirty and need to be cleansed. But it says more than that, that Jesus is the satisfaction of life that we drink of Him. And He, he is the joy of life. And we're satisfied in Him but we're called to personalize it. If you've been around much, you've heard me quote Luther a lot. Luther says the most powerful word in the whole Bible is the personal pronoun. My, I, me, mine. And what we're called to do today in every Lord's Supper we come to is that we're to personalize this. Not only is this the body of Christ broken, it's broken for me. This is the cup of the new covenant shed for the remission of sins. Drink you all of it. It's for my sins. There was a man in a cemetery in Tennessee in the 1800s. He was kneeling by a grave and crying. Somebody came up to him and says, Is that your son or somebody that you're really close to? And he says, No. He said, I've got to kind of tell you a story. He says, When the war broke out between the states, I was drafted by the Northern Army, and I was going to have to go and leave my little farm, and my wife and my children, and my next-door neighbor's eldest son came up and said, I'll go for you, which was he was able to do. And he literally went for him in his stead. And he stood up and he said, this is his grave. And a little bitty crude cross said, died for me. You see, that's what communion is. You know, we personalize it. Not just that Jesus died in a redemptive fashion. Not just Jesus died for many, but Jesus died for us. The last thing is, as they were eating, he instituted the Passover. This is my body, and until I will not drink of this, until I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom with you. I won't drink it again until I drink it in my Father's kingdom. At Passover, they there were four cups, and each cup stood for something, and there are different names for it. But the third cup was the cup of blessing, and so we believe, uh, the scholars believe that Jesus was taking the third cup and was saying that this is a cup. This is a cup is a new covenant in my blood the blessing of fact that we get to drink of the cup of blessing instead of the cup of wrath that Jesus drank. But there's that fourth cup that he wasn't going to drink. And he didn't drink it that night. And he didn't get outside and come back and said, Oh, I forgot to drink the fourth cup. He told his disciples, I won't drink until I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. Well, he's making a proclamation that his father has a kingdom. He'll bring the thief on the cross into that kingdom. In his last breath. There is a kingdom that is compared in Revelation 19 to the Lamb's wedding feast. Where Jesus is portraying, I think here, is that, that there's going to be a feast. And I'm not going to celebrate that feast until you're there with me. I, have to, I always think of Coach Ferris when I get to this passage. Uh, you know, I had the great privilege of going over and talking with him uh, during his last days. And as long as he could, he, he always was interesting. But he had a dream one night, and he was trying to tell Miriam about it. He said, there was this table. And he said, Miriam, he said there was everything on this table. And she said, what was on this table? He said, everything imaginable on this table. And she asked him again, what was on the table? She said, he said, all I know is you can't drink seven up with this kind of food. What he meant was this called for the fineness of wine. This is what Jesus is talking about. There's going to be a day that's coming. And that day of us being with the Lord is like a great feast. And every time we have the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death till He comes again. He's coming again. There's going to be a feast. And that builds our hope. And that builds our confidence. But I want you to focus on two more words. With you. I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until my Father's kingdom when I drink it with you. I never thought of that with you. I've passed over it a lot of times, never really pondered it. Ralph Davis made me ponder it. And he said, what Jesus is saying is that I will not celebrate, fully celebrate until all of you are home. I can't really enjoy the feast. I won't drink the cup until all my children are home that part of what Jesus is saying is in heaven is heaven because His people, His redeemed people are going to be there and Jesus can't celebrate until all His redeemed people are there. It's kind of like several years ago, we knew people that were deployed. Uh, we're going to have, Will's going to be deployed uh, soon. Will Floyd is, you know, he's on his way uh, to deployment but they go and they go to war. or They go make sure there's not a war. And they stay for, you know, a year, 18 months, two years. And then you get the date that they're going to come home. And you decide that when they come home, you're going to have a, a real feast and celebration. You're going to cook him his favorite. You're going to have his friends there. And so, you know, he's supposed to get there at 7 o'clock. Seven o'clock comes, and he's not there. What do you do? You wait. Kind of like you do at a wedding, you know? Kind of like I wanted to get into that chocolate uh, cake of Matthew's wedding. Man, it still tastes Reese's peanut butter cups all over it. And there was this lady there with a knife. And I didn't know if she was there to cut the cake or keep me away from it. But you cannot have that cake until the bride and groom have the cake. And Jesus is saying, that's what I think of my people. I want to read what Ralph says in closing. And so, he refuses to celebrate until he can do it with them in the kingdom of God. That is, Jesus abstains until he can have his people all with him at the table in the kingdom. He refuses to eat and drink in the absence of his people. He so esteems his people that he cannot celebrate until they finish their course, until they're with him. Jesus' abstinence is another way of which he shows how much his people matter to him. Says in Luke that he earnestly desired to eat the Passover with him. Doesn't this verse indicate how Jesus really liked his disciples and cherished his company with them? True, none can deny that they were frequently dense, muddle headed, naive, and foolish, but Jesus didn't merely put up with them, he genuinely prized them. We should never forget that there may be an overspill from this text, how Jesus may guard his current day disciples as well, bungling as we may be. Not only today, but in eternity, God desires to eat this with his people. Let's pray. Father, bless to our understanding of this passage, and then bless the giving and the receiving of bread and wine in your name that we might be fed strengthened and deepened in our love for you in jesus name we pray amen